You are listening to the Regent College Podcast. Hi, I'm Nick Corbin. And I'm Claire Perini. And welcome back to the Regent College Podcast. We are also welcoming back uh, a podcast guest from a little while ago, Dr. Jenny McLaurin, who is the former Dean of Students at Regent College and also a medical doctor and a wife and a mum. Got five, she's got five kids. She's married to Andrew. She's also recently co-authored a book called Designed to Heal. What the body shows us about healing wounds, repairing relationships, and restoring community. And that's what we talked about today. And friends, I don't want to oversell this, but there was a lot of like mic drop moments mm. and a kind of a lot of like uh, like moments where it was like, yeah, mic drop and also light bulb, if we're to use mm-hmm. two different metaphors there, yeah. uh, just of like, oh, that makes total sense mm-hmm. that that's that that relates to that. And so Jenny has just an amazing ability to to bring what she knows about theology and, and what she's lived about theology, as well as what she knows about the body and medicine and what she's lived as she's practiced medicine for a number of years. Uh, and then to sort of integrate those into how that then plays itself out in our relationships. Yeah. And um, it was just a fascinating and really fun, interesting conversation. Yeah, made me want to get up and just praise God for creating us. Totally. And, and our bodies and how they, they were designed to heal and so I was really thankful for her outlook and even that I could understand what she was talking about with how the body heals I was like oh that's incredible that you're you can explain that to me and Mm -hmm. I understand and then and then yeah just connecting that with our relationships and community um her perspective on the trinity Mm -hmm. and God being a relational God Mm -hmm. and how that it should impact how we view our own healing and how mm-hmm. he, he brings healing to us in our relationships, in our wounding, um, in our communities. Mm-hmm. And so I think, I think, yeah, it's really important for us to grasp and to live into as yeah. Christians and as yeah. the body of Christ. Yeah. So Nick and I should definitely stop talking so that you can enjoy our conversation with Dr. Jenny McLaurin. Yeah, enjoy. Jenny, welcome back to the Regent College podcast. Thank you, Claire. It's so nice to be back. It's so I feel like I feel so much joy in my heart at just having a conversation with you again because we didn't know each other very well last time we met, but we felt like I felt like I knew your name, and now then and I then when you said you've written a new book, I was like, oh, we have to get Jenny back. So. It's great to have you back and now with Nick as well. So, um, so Jenny, we're going to talk about your new book. But why don't you why don't you begin? Tell us sort of the journey of writing the book. Why did you write it? How did it come about? Yeah, thanks. It it's been a a wonderful journey that is still full of surprises even at this stage. Yeah. Um, it really came about through friendship. So mm-hmm. it started with friendship with my co-author Symboline uh, Kuliat, who goes by Ben. She's a molecular geneticist. She's Filipina originally. She lives in Tennessee in the United States. And we never would have met except that I was giving a bioethics uh, weekend conference on Christian bioethics. Yeah. And she attended. And we struck up a friendship after that, uh, both talking about ways that we see awe um, in our work and ways that we see 
God in our mm. callings. And um, goodness, are writing a little bit that sometimes um, other Christians denigrated science and uh, um, not something that was full of imagination. And so we both talked about the uses of our imagination and our work. Yeah. And out of that, she became somebody who was able to speak to pastors through a North American initiative that happened when I was a regent with the Templeton Foundation. Oh, and she was able to show pastors just this beauty and wonder of scientific endeavor that increased her faith and actually helped um, them see God with some new eyes uh, mm. as work in creation. So we became stronger friends through that initiative. And then that was, I don't know, half a dozen or more years ago, and we've stayed close friends ever since. And I invited her to come to a weekend retreat and asked her to do a little devotional on wound healing because that's what she had spoken mm. on those years before to the pastors. And she did. And everybody loved it and thought this need, we need to hear more. Yeah. Yeah. One of the people at that retreat is, was Lucy Shaw, who's a very close friend who's taught at Regent many times. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Lucy said, you have to write this as a book. And so we laughed and said, only, only if you help us, Lucy. Yeah, she kept my she kept my toes to the fire. So, that <laughs> so it happened over about a couple of years, and I thought, ah, you know, even if this never comes to anything, at least it's a good exercise, right? Um, it actually did come to something. So yeah, um, it did. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, it's it's funny, isn't it? Sometimes there are those moments where you're like, why haven't we thought about this like this before? You know, where pastors are saying, ah. Oh, that makes so much sense. This is exactly what we need, or these are exactly the questions where wrestling is. But why, why have we not ever made these connections before, or why have we not ever talked about it in this way before? And realizing that the kind of hunger for that sort of insight, um, just it, yeah, I feel like it. Yeah, it happens more often than we realize. Um, so you you ask this question in your book: uh, If our bodies instinctively know how to heal physical in- injuries. Could they also help us understand how to restore painful emotional and relational ruptures? So do you want to give us a bit of an overview of how the the sort of the body, what what the body shows us about healing wounds and wearing relationship uh, and repairing relationships and community? Do you want to just talk to us about sort of what does the body do? Give us a bit of an overview of that. Sure. And that that is what really struck all of us is how amazing it is that the body is designed to heal. That's what the book's title is. But it it is set up to promote healing, not to stay wounded. And and it is set up to acknowledge that wounding is going to happen. So Mm -hmm. we better have a plan for how to heal from it. Right. Um, Rather than continuing to be uh, disabled. So there's four stages in wound healing. They're very precise. They're very ordered. And if any one of them goes wrong, it goes wrong in a predictable way that messes up future healing. Each phase uh, is, each subsequent phase is a little bit stronger than the one before it, which is kind of interesting as you apply it to our own uh, social healing. The first phase is really rapid. It's just acknowledging, oh, 
there's there's a problem here yeah. <laughs> and I'm bleeding right yeah so it, there the body wastes zero time um the second a blood vessel gets injured even if it's a tiny little one it shrinks and gets smaller to try to help stop the bleeding and the very second that happens and then in the very next second platelets start gathering together and they form a sticky clot and then they send out messages to the blood that it needs to congeal and turn into Mm. yellow instead of just dripping 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 and so all of that stuff happens we don't ever think about it by the time we realize that we've gotten cut that's already happened Mm. within 10 seconds right yeah so um that's rather remarkable and then the next phase that comes after that is uh inflammation and inflammation's goal, which sounds kind of, it sounds like a bad word, inflammation, inflammatory, but mm. it's a great word in healing when used properly. So in, inflammation is the body saying, oh, you know what? There might be some germs in this wound, uh, might be a dirty wound. Let's get rid of anything that could infect it. Yeah. Mm. So that healing is clean. Let's keep it clean. Yeah. So there's these little cells from our white blood cells that gobble things up macrophages and there's neutrophils and there's the immune response uh cells where they they uh recognize something that they have an antibody to so anyway mm-hmm. i'm in next they're like the next stage and they take a little bit longer than the clotting and they cause redness and swelling and Everybody knows then that, oh, I have this bruise and it's it's red and it hurts. Mm. But that, that is doing our body good and is necessary. And then the next phase, inflammation needs to die down and get out of the way and do, you know, do whatever good um, to let tissue be built. Mm-hmm. So you have swelling and all that where you're trying to build tissue. So yeah. tissue building is a third phase and that's, a much longer phase and it's really really elegant and it amazes scientists Mm. and still amazes me I don't understand all of it and Bem doesn't either even though she's a molecular genetic right which is just as good as being a rocket scientist (laughs) (laughs) like out there right in the stratosphere in terms of smart and um but all of these different cell types respond to work that goes on in what's called an extracellular matrix. And that is a, we call it in the book, a healing matrix, because it's just simpler to think of it like that. Yeah. Mm. The body makes this scaffolding right in the place that you need it to build new tissue and then directs the right kind of tissue to be formed. So if you need skin, you get skin, need some blood, you know, blood vessels, you get blood vessels. If you need some muscle to line up in the proper way and not go sideways, you know, it lines up in the proper way. Mm. Really pretty fascinating to think about. It's, like, ama- it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right. yeah. Right. And yeah. It, yeah, you probably don't think that much about like, oh, it's so cool that divot right. in my knee where I got scraped actually filled in just right. It didn't just like went all wonky, right? Yeah. yeah. Or upside down or something, right? Yeah. Right. Uh, there's never errors like that. So that takes incredible collaborative activity. It it takes orchestration. It takes cells coming in at the right time, cells being adaptable and flexible and changing composition and cells, some of them die in the process. Um, 
and in order for that new life to uh, go on. And so that healing matrix for us was one of the more poignant um, pieces is how the body's designed to heal and how it might relate to our social wounds. And then the last phase, there's, it's typically scarring, but Mm. there can be regeneration, which is um, like fetal uh, tissue heals without a scar. So uh, in our stages of pure innocence as a developing person, we heal without scars, which is that's so interesting. It really is. God is. The, we get, the, the more scarred we get in our healing. Right. right. And the harder it takes, maybe the longer it takes us to heal. Maybe. Yeah. As we get more and more wounded in life and older, mm. yeah, we're we're more resistant to healing. So that that's sort of interesting to think about but scars you know they they allow us to function and keep going because sometimes we can't make everything new again Mm -hmm. but body goes you know what let's just close this though let's let's go on with life let's keep functioning healthily so Mm. we're going to have as much possible function as we can Mm -hmm. and restoration as possible and get on with life Mm. yeah what an image instead of just staying wounded Well, it's not as good as it was, so yeah. I'm not getting a scar because, you know, yeah. I'm just going this gaping nastiness because yeah. mm-hmm. I, can't get, I can't get what I wanted. Yeah. It's a real lesson. Yeah, totally. So let me, so it's, so it's clotting and then inflammation and then tissue formation and scarring and then kind of regeneration or restoration. Is that, that's kind of the, that's the process. Yeah. Okay. So what wound scientists, including them, are working on now is that regeneration thing. That's like the um, golden chalice or whatever you call it, you know, yeah. it's, the, it's the elusive wonder, but that's what people are working on. On the restoration piece, sorry, you said on the regeneration piece, yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. All this is, it's so interesting and already, I mean, there's like connections being made, I guess, in my own life, in other people's lives that I see of like how the body teaches us in in some regard. And so I think we'll touch, I don't know if we'll get to all of them, but I think we'll touch on a few. So I wonder if we could just start with the first one of clotting. And um, I think in your book, you call this the, like the first responders. Right. And and you 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 kind of create an analogy actually between the good Samaritan. And this was this was so neat to see of of the correlation that you made there between clotting, like the first responders and kind of the good Samaritan and simple steps that in in collaborative healing. So do you just wanna do you just wanna talk about that? Well, sure. And um I love the way the message um talks about the good the Good Samaritan. So I'm going to see if I can find find those verses that Eugene Peterson did. Um, Yes, from Luke chapter 10. A Samaritan traveling the road came on him. When he saw the man's condition, his heart went out to him. He gave him first aid, disinfecting and bandaging his wounds. So clotting is basically our first aid, uh, the first step. And you know, the first thing that the Samaritan did, his heart went out to him. That was the first response. Mm-hmm. And then his next response was just practical. He mm. 
this is this is what he needs. And he didn't analyze and go, well, are you a member of my tribe? Or are you not a member of my tribe? Right. Is it your fault? Are you dangerous? Um, do you deserve this? There's none of that, right? Oh. There's compassion, mm. there's and practical kindness. And you know, if we saw somebody bleeding on a street, maybe that would be easier for us. And if we see somebody who is in a really bad mood at work or having a bad day in our family and uh, wanting to recoil from that. But the, what our body does in wounds is when our body spasms with recoil, like our blood vessels, that's because they're trying to stop the bleeding. So they're that's actually a helpful response. So mm -hmm. in the book, I say, if you feel yourself kind of, withdrawing or feeling um, tense, maybe it's a signal that you are supposed to be somebody who's who offers aid at that point. Um, mm. We have to be discerning about it. Right. But so often we wait for the wounded person to ask for help instead of helping them. Mm. And sometimes by that point, it's much more difficult to help. Mm. Yeah. For instance, if you know somebody is getting a divorce or they just had some really unhappiness and they're trying to figure out how to deal with um, a situation. So often we're, we try to be um, kind by ignoring. Mm. I know that that happens when people die. I know that many people say that in their grief after they've lost a loved one, they just wish somebody would ask about them or acknowledge it, but instead yeah. they ignore, they wait for them to bring it up because they don't want to bother them. Right. And yeah. so it's the idea that no, this is this is I can see that you're wounded. I can yeah. see that there's a wound here. Let me give you a hug. That's what a clot does. Let mm. me. Um, I'm going to bring you a cup of coffee, even right. if you didn't ask for it, or I'm just going to say, hey, I'm praying for you, or hey, I know you're hurting. Mm -hmm. Not, hey, I know how to solve this. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's not a clot. A clot no. doesn't build tissue. A yeah. clot just stops the bleeding. Yeah. Oh, that's really, that's such a helpful way to think about it. So then if we moved on to sort of then inflammation and thinking about inflammation. So obviously in the process of healing, uh, it's it's kind of part of that sort of that sort of sequence. But then what, how do we think about then like chronic inflammation that, you know, where it sort of, it doesn't make its way through, doesn't feel like it doesn't always make its way through the process, right? It just stays chronically inflamed. Um, what, what is it? And then why do you, how do you see that then playing out kind of relationally, this kind of idea of chronic inflammation and in our relationships or seeing that biblically as well? Yeah. Yeah. That in that, that dance between proper inflammation and chronic inflammation, I think is, is really tough. Um, it's tough in the human body and it's tough in our um, corporate body, our body of Christ or our communities, um, either one. Mm. And for me personally, it's tough because of my personality. So mm. <laughs> inflammation is good. And so, you know, depending on your personality, some people would rather not talk about the elephant in the room or they'd rather us just, do we have to talk about critical race theory? Can't we just move beyond that? Do we have to talk about uh, people who are angry about wearing masks or not wearing masks? You know, can't we just kind of move on? 
And the reality is we do need to talk about those big things mm. that are that are bothering people because otherwise they get submerged and they can turn into chronic simmering, simmering, simmering kind of inflammation. Mm. So a little bit of inflammation is good because it calls attention to, hey, there is a problem here. Mm-hmm. Body didn't fix it all. It fixed some, but there's still a problem. Mm. So being discerning about what is the correct amount of heat to bring to a situation? What's mm. the correct amount of ouch that kind of hurts when you say that to bring to a situation? Mm. It does need to be brought to situations mm-hmm. um, as a signal that there's more. Yeah. Right. Well, it makes me think about that whole idea you were saying, the inflammation, this is right, isn't it? The inflammation is what helps clean it out. Like to make so it's almost like. Yeah, well, how much heat do you bring to it to sort of clean it out a bit, the conversation or, you know, or something like that? Not clean it out, but you, you know, know what I mean? Right. And where where is the debris? Where is yeah. the stuff that isn't helping? So maybe, yeah, it's, yeah. maybe it's gossip. Maybe it's rumors. Maybe it's something that happened in the past in that yeah. situation that is getting brought into this new wound. And you want yeah. to no, let's clear that out. Hey, that's not what we're dealing with. What we're dealing right. with. This or that. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to understand intentions and where are the good intentions? Where are the troubling intentions? And how do we sort those out so that we acknowledge the painful wound? We acknowledge the problems that are there, but we don't bring in unnecessary debris. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Chronic inflammation happens when the body, bodily chronic inflammation happens when the body um, starts taking over the wound process and doesn't continue to direct towards healing, but becomes inflamed against itself in a way. So the inflammatory cells don't turn off when they're supposed to, and it's autoimmune. So it means, you know, it's against your own body. So it's not any longer the wound that's hurting you in chronic inflammation. It's your own body. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, on and on and on and on when it was supposed to stop. And it just makes this big, literally putrid mess of ulcers and stuff in the human body. And it causes way more harm than the original wound. So with people with wound impaired healing, like if they have really bad diabetes or really bad blood flow, or they have Hansen's disease, those are the examples I use, which is leprosy. Mm -hmm. Um, The body's wound healing um, gets stuck and the chronic inflammation goes in this cycle that the body can't move out of to get to tissue building. And instead there's tissue destruction and more. So good tissue that was never hurt originally. Mm. Hurt. And mm. for me, that's just a, that's a huge um, instruction for where we are culturally. Yeah. And I mentioned in the book that sociologists say we're, we're in a culture of outrage right now. Mm. We're so stuck in cycles of outrage that we can't hear um, we can't move. We can't uh, remove ourselves to see how it's even possible to meet positively with people on the other side of our wound who are mm-hmm. who are taking a different stance. And instead, we're in this messy ulcer of our own making. And right. fortunately, 
everybody with us who's in the chronic outrage on our side of the fence is, is making that bigger, right? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. we're not willing to stop and we're not willing where we demand a hundred percent and in wound healing in the physical body, you don't demand a hundred percent. You demand, let's do as good a job as we can. Mm-hmm. So we allow for compromise in physical wound healing and in social wound healing, where the chronic outrage is happening that sociologists see it's when people are demanding a hundred percent of their way or mm-hmm. interesting. Oh, that's that, so fascinating. Yeah. So you yeah. kind of, t- I mean, in clotting, you kind of touched on the first responders, good Samaritan kind of meeting even just like practical needs to help kind of just bring first response to be there for somebody. Do you, like with inflammation or even chronic inflammation and and you how you described the first responders i thought that was so interesting it was like there was like a spasming you know like it was you were mm-hmm. discerning i love that imagery because i've experienced that and i know others experience that in in my own healing journey and so i wonder for chronic inflammation is that is that something different like than than just like the first responders i'm just thinking like how do you then bring healing to a chronic inflamed situation, a society, basically. Um, Mm. Does that question make sense? Yeah, it's a huge question for our culture right now, right? Mm. So um, first, you know, uh, one of the things about chronic inflammation in the human body is it needs more oxygen. So we need to breathe And we need to kind of let some fresh air in sometimes. And we need to allow, if we are the, if we're the inflamed one, we need to allow our flames to be turned down some by having um, an external force come in and tamp things down. Mm. That's where, you know, mediators are great. Right. and yeah. um, and taking a step away is good in that and just pausing and i know for my my own family we're all super verbal and everything one of the examples i gave was just requiring there to be a f- 5 seconds between speakers mm-hmm. when you're upset with somebody right because it it forces a little bit of fresh air and healing mm. in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it allows the possibility that a different perspective can be heard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing which any good negotiator does is they, they ask, you know, Claire, what did you hear me say? And that mm-hmm. they try to, um, try to make sure that that people are being listened to well which is just pausing because you can pause and just wait until it's your turn so being a really good listener Mm -hmm. uh, matters in that chronic outrage um and then i think you know having um I don't know if this is where i talked about gratitude or not but it sure does help for me Mm. having having looking for places of gratitude even in the midst of that chronic 
you know, mm-hmm. uh, out, outrage scene. Yeah. And, and trying to go to wherever the margins are that are still healthy mm-hmm. and try to be, be in those margins for a bit with the, with the people uh, that it's, it's difficult to be with. Mm-hmm. And, um, but at the end of the day, you know, the, there does have to be, both sides have to be willing to commit to healing. Um, mm-hmm. And they, they have to want healing more than they want outrage and anger. And, and so that starts with ourselves, right? Like, how am I willing to lay this down? Am I yeah. willing to let this die? Yeah, and am I willing to let some fresh air in to maybe change you know, like, am I willing to hear another voice as well, right? Or another? Mm. Yeah. And another thing, um, I'm, I have a, a difficult family situation at the moment and um, a person who's, who doesn't want to um, uh, engage very well with a number of people. And I'm just holding my hands like this, just praying and going, you know, I'm praying for this person's well-being, which is, uh, I know the Buddhists do it too. <laughs> so it's that loving kindness, right? I'm, yeah. I'm praying for their, for their well-being. And, um, and I trust that if they're made whole and well, then this wound will be made whole and well. Mm-hmm. And um, so maybe not struck, not fighting quite so hard. Yeah. Yeah, and that makes me kind of thinking about something else we wanted to chat about was just because the familial familial relationships are a particular kind of relationship and the wounding that happens there. And so, you know, we know that critical wounds and injuries you know, take time, but then sometimes we with relational ones or particularly with familial ones, um, we sometimes think they should just be able to heal quickly, but that uh, which just seems like, I mean, now that we're talking about it, it seems really crazy, but... Hmm. You know, when you think about it, actually, that doesn't make sense. But, um, but do you want to? Can you talk to us? How have you, how have you found the human body's kind of healing process helpful in that? In those really critical mm. wounds and familiar, you know, things like estrangement and and those kinds of things. Yeah, thanks, Claire. Um, you're, you're right. I I don't know whether we should or shouldn't think that things should heal faster, but I do know that we get very impatient. Yeah, we do. Yeah. And, um, and that we, we, we want things to speed up and the body gets slower and slower as it gets more complex in terms of building new tissue and trying to really get restoration right. It takes a long time. So the clotting's quick and, um, and maybe that gives us a false hope that everything's going to be quick. But right. I... I do think that like after, after you identify the problem and all that, okay. And we've cleaned up the debris, we've identified what's wrong in the situation and we've all agreed to a code of conduct. Um, it, it takes a long time to reform yeah. healthy functional tissue where the entire wound is now covered. Um, yeah. And all we need is a tiny bit of it not to be covered in our human body and it ruptures open again, right? right. And it's kind of the same thing in our in our family. So I I think giving people the grace of uh, you know, this might still be tender if I touch it. And right. uh, I don't want to pry 
I don't want to, I don't want to stretch this one too far. So um, especially if we feel like perhaps maybe we've been a little bit victorious in our, in our healing, or maybe on the other side, maybe we, we haven't been. And so we feel this um, sense of sort of righteousness, like, well, I gave up a lot in order for that to go well at that family reunion, you know, so I should get some credit and realizing that, no, you know, um, those are just pieces along the way. And um, we need to be patient and remodeling with scar tissue happens over a lifetime. And so there are, there are, we shouldn't be surprised, I guess, when, if things burst open again, um, because, um, they might, and we just need to be patient and go back through the steps and not give up. And I think a lot of times we just we just give up too quickly on the possibility of healing. You know, we just right. We just say oh, that that'll never work, or that situation is you know untenable, or whatever it is. And certainly in society, I think that's true right now. At least in America, it's just people have sort of given up on mm-hmm. healing. And as Christians, like we're never supposed to give up on healing. No. Yeah. Right. Do you know what it makes? It makes me wonder. Sorry, Nick, I might have just jumped in when you're about to say something. Go for it. Makes me wonder. So there, there is a point where the body says, I can't heal. And the body dies. Right. Maybe. I guess. Right. And so. Cancer lots of times. Right. Yeah. 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 So, um, that, you know, and that's because the body, the body can't heal. It can't go through this process. There's no clotting. There's no inflammation. There's no amount of, there's no restoration. And so then death. And then have you, have you thought about that in terms of the kind mm. of, what are your thoughts on that in terms of relationally? Like there are points at which things, mm. they, they can't be healed in the body. He says no. Relationally, does that same analogy hold? Or maybe as Christians, maybe it doesn't because there's always a possibility of restoration. I don't know. Do you have any thoughts about that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, gosh, Claire, that's a <laughs> theological question for the ages. But <laughs> exactly, <laughs> we might as well give it a try. It's kind of like why suffering, right? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and of course, like as a physician, um, I know some things that are theoretically uniformly fatal, and usually they are uniformly right. fatal, and people aren't going to heal from them, but. There is always the possibility. There's always that one-off mystery right. of, of healing. Mm-hmm. So for me, I like to keep a posture both in medicine and in relationships that there is a possibility, but meanwhile, um, I'm I'm that those are those times that I kind of leave it up to the, the mystery of God and help yeah. help me understand what my role is in this situation now that looks so hopeless and and if it looks dangerous give me wisdom because i i don't need to be a fool Mm. you know i don't need to go tread in where it's dangerous to go tread in if that's not my calling and i'm i'm not a pollyanna where i just think oh la-di-da everything's gonna work out if we just you know try hard enough Mm. but but I do think we get confused about what our own role is a lot of times in healing, what God's role is and, right. and, and how to navigate that. And I, 
yeah. if I learned anything from the body, it's that healing is never individual. Healing is communal. Yeah. So it's never just up to me. It's always up to we. <laughs> and um, oftentimes people I wouldn't expect are better equipped to deal with a situation than I am. And that is often true with families. And I know that people think, well, like they're my, I get along great with my sister. So I'll use them as an example. Pretend I didn't. Well, she's my sister. I should be able to deal with it and make it work. Well, for whatever reason, my sister's friend can speak into her heart better than I can on that. Mm. Okay. You know, God often uses other people, not those that we're closest to, to yeah. speak into those situations. And, um, but all healing is communal. It's never individual. And so I, I think that's just important to keep in mind. And mm. body, it's true in the body of Christ. Sorry to interrupt this wonderful conversation, but Claire Perini has something really important she'd like to share with you. Nick, I do have something very important to say. Firstly, it's to say thank you to the number of people who listen to the podcast and they they like the podcast so much that they send us emails to let us know or little donations of cashola. Mm. So um so thank you for those who are who have been supporting the podcast. But if you've been listening to the podcast and you've been thinking, oh, I wonder how Nick gets paid. <laughs> no. <laughs> Cut that out. <laughs> so if you've been listening to the podcast and you've appreciated some of the conversations that we've had, we would love you to, to let Regent know by sending us an email or sending us a donation. And you can do that on the Regent College website if you go to rgnt.net forward slash give. That's R-G-N-T dot net forward slash wow. give. What a great... American, North American accent. Or like some sort of weird <laughs> hybrid accent. Yeah. Uh, wonderful. And if you do give a donation, would you please tell them the podcast sent you? Thanks for listening and for your support. We hope you enjoy the rest of our conversation. There's like, there seems to be like a tension, I guess, in the sense of we have this eschatological es- hope. <laughs> That we will someday be healed. All, all our wounds will be healed, right? All our, our will we'll be given new bodies. Our relationships will be healed. We have that hope. Um, but in that, yes, we have that hope, but we're here in the present now. And we, we as, as your book states, as our bodies know it all too well, we were, we are designed to heal that God created us that way. And so to neglect the communal aspect of healing and to pass it on to that's just for the eschaton is kind of to neglect actually how we we were created. Um, and I, I wonder if we, we can live into that sometimes that even in our theo- theological thinkings, we can live into that. Well, I, I'm just going to have this estrangement with this family member forever. And that's not true because obviously we will have someday mm, be in, mm. be in right relationship, but also, it is possible in this life too, because that's how we were designed. So it's like holding, I guess, holding that tension, but that hope still that the Lord has created us for for healing and for forgiveness and for right mm. relationship, right? 
Yeah. And, and I love thinking about like the resurrected Christ standing there with his palms with nail holes, Mm. right? Who knows why? And who knows if whenever we see him again, if they'll be there, but it's an image of wounds being turned into wholeness, even Mm. though we still see them. And that's what there's something about it that makes us more human Mm. and also more like God, you know, if you like Maltman and the whole idea of God can love because God did suffer. Um, and you can't love unless you can also suffer. Mm. Um, so expecting that we are going to live some life that involves no, uh, relational pain is expecting that we're going to live a life without love, you know? Mm. So, So, so I expect we will carry a whole lot of pain to our graves and I have no idea how it will look. Mm. And, and another eternal life, except that something, and I'm probably not making a lot of sense right now because I'm a bit rambling, but no, no. I really lean into the Trinity on this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I am more and more somebody who calls myself a Trinitarian Christian when they ask like sort of what brand of Christian are you? <laughs> right, yeah. Because God is three in one, God is community and, and mm-hmm. God's own essence. And, um, I lean into that because that's where I see the fullest healing. That's mm-hmm. where the, the, the mutual embrace takes care of whatever is hurt in the other. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I feel like leaning into that, Mm. idea of shalom with god and earth and each other which is also god in three with us right Mm. Mm -hmm. that is where there's full healing and i kind of think we won't care so much about why stuff was so painful yeah right yeah yeah the the relational aspect is is so important to grasp Mm-hmm. in our Christian walk, because mm-hmm. it means so much for our, for, for how we live out our lives. I, Ginny, I wonder, does this have anything, you know, the neglect of the communal and relational aspect of healing, does this have anything to do with the proud flesh that you talk about in, in your book? Um, do you want to touch on that? Like how, what is proud flesh in the, in the body? And then how do you see that playing out in our relationships too? Sure. And actually the whole idea of proud flesh is, um, one of the things when I was like, Oh, I have to write a book about this. Right. Totally. I loved the term. So Bem was talking about it. And when she was talking about wound healing and proud flesh is a medical term that we use. And it's when that first stage of tissue building goes wonky. And so instead of allowing the tissue to be transform from this um, kind of pink oozy uh, pad, it, a gauze pad kind of thing um, that we've all seen when we scrape our knee. Uh, it, it should get then transformed bit by bit into tighter and tighter woven collagen and tighter and tighter skin until it 
closes over. Mm -hmm. Instead, it gets stuck and it gets stuck at the immature form of the very first kind of fleshy growth. And it's this pink, flabby, fleshy growth that's got Mm. capillaries in it. So it bleeds easily, but it's not strong. And it hasn't differentiated. It hasn't let any other cells come and act on it to change it and to be turned into a stronger unit Mm. woven together with other members. It's going to do all the filling in itself, you know, if it had a personality. So it ends up with this eruption of mess, of gloppy mess called proud flesh. And it gets in the way of wounds after surgery sometimes, and it gets on horses. It can actually kill them. It can get infected. And it's this just nasty, gooey flesh um, at the site of a wound where the wound can't close because it's in the way. Um, so yeah. you, you have to cut it out. You have to Why? get here with it. And it's disappointing because oh. you've already made it through all of these areas of wound healing and you're well on the way towards being healed. And then darn, you got this annoying, annoying flab that you just have to cut out and start all over again. I just feel like this is like your brain, like you don't have to say much for your brain, like your synapses to just kind of like make all these relational connections between, oh, it's just like, it's so obvious. Like it seems so obvious, but like, why am I, why why haven't we ever talked about this before? It makes total sense. Well, that's why I love thinking of the image of God and that God did make us in his image all the way down to our microcellular landscapes. Yeah. You know, the word became flesh. Like, that's Mm -hmm. huge. That's Mm -hmm. huge. (laughs) (laughs) But not not as much at Regent as some other places, but so often um, striving Christians they're trying to learn everything they can and rationalize it and, you know, get the right information. And it's like so much of the Christian life is not about the right information. Mm. It's about the right somatization, yeah. <laughs> about the right feeling and the right living and the right mm-hmm. uh, orientation. Yeah, right. And, right yeah. posture. Right. Yep. Yeah. 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 Oh, I, I feel like, like there's, there's, there's I've had so many like, Aha uh-huh moments. I'm, I'm like, like kind of trying to concentrate on where we're going in the conversation, but like thinking all these different things. Um, but you, when you were talking about the communal kind of the the healing being communal and that sort of thing, you know, you've worked in medicine for a long time. Um, but we've sort of we sometimes do talk about healing as a solitary endeavor rather than a communal one. You know, so if someone is is healing from, and I think I wonder if this is actually for mental illness more than it is for physical, like for mental healing rather than physical healing. Physical healing, you might think, yeah, that person needs crutches, that person's going to need someone to drive them, you know, those kinds of things. But when we're thinking about things like maybe depression or maybe domestic violence or other sort of mental illnesses, we don't always, do Do we always take into consideration the more communal aspect of healing? And why, why don't we? Why has it become a solitary kind of endeavour? Why don't we is mm-hmm. probably not the best person to answer that other than our individualistic uh, mindset, yeah, yeah, Western culture, right? That we can all sort of navigate our own way in the world, and um, certainly Protestants are guilty of a lot of that more than, say, Eastern Orthodox, who are much more communal. 
but um and and other cultures who are more communal right so Asian cultures are more communal but um and he and I think Claire any kind of physical mental I don't really separate out mental from physical because as I say the brain is attached to the body right right yeah no totally our head does connect to everything else right um I do see it all as sort of one thing Mm -hmm. one organism but um uh there's very very strong evidence that what we now call social determinants of health Mm. affect populations as well as individuals so look at who has diabetes in the u.s and uh and who is obese with poorly controlled diabetes it's far over represented in minorities not because they don't care but because uh there's also more poverty there's less transportation there's fewer doctors that look like them there's less health literacy there's poor judgments made in emergency rooms by non-minority doctors uh for minority patients it's been well studied that yeah. like male doctors will write off a black female's heart attack at much higher rates than a black female doctor would write off a black female woman's heart yeah. So there's these inherent biases and, mm-hmm. and then, um, but social determinants of health are things that we're looking at in medicine now in terms of making sure that our patient can get to a place of health and they completely depend on others, you know, in that milieu. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Transportation, education, right? you know, the built environment. What does the built environment do for health? Mm-hmm. Um, where is your uh, food source? Is it, are you in a food desert? Those are all social determinants of health. Yeah. When we look at mental health, again, and physical health, it's, it's also um, who, who's our social support. And there's good studies showing that people without social supports have slower rates of wound healing. They have slower rates of getting out of the hospital. They have, mm relapses and cancer Mm. and um and it's not just because somebody's reminding them to take their medicine but it's actually the stress of isolation the stress Mm. of navigating hard things in life yeah ourselves yeah 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 and you've kind of i mean i think you've been on a past podcast i know you kind of shared a little bit about your story but you've kind of forge new ground in, in some regard in starting your own practice and wanting to care for the whole person. Um, so I know you've taken steps and maybe you touched on a little bit, but do you feel like the medical system is, is moving more in that direction to more holistic health? Or do you feel like there's, it's kind of still taken a backseat? Oh, so sadly, I do not feel that it is moving holistically because I think um, in general, specialization uh, is rampant in Western medicine and um, reward 
is much higher in specialization, monetary and lifestyle wise than it is in, in general medicine. And while there may be more awareness of some alternative medicine practices and quote holistic approaches, the reality at the end of the day is most medical practices also in Canada allow a very short amount of time with the patient with the yeah. Yeah. Right. so yeah. now I don't think it's it's moving yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. It, so oh, go, ahead. go ahead go ahead Claire <laughs> well I was gonna say this um this 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 will be and is potentially contentious of a question but while we've got you, Jenny, we thought we'd kind of um, get your just your insight and and how you're approaching the COVID nineteen vaccination and how you're thinking about that and and responding to people who who might be hesitant or who have got kind of concerns about it. What's what's been your approach to vaccines in the current climate uh, for COVID and how are you thinking about that? What's your approach for those who might be hesitant? Yeah, thanks, um, Claire. And um, it makes me sad that it would be thought of as contentious, right? right. Yeah. Medical decision. It's a scientific decision. Right. And um, I always, as a pediatrician, I've had many, many conversations with parents about vaccines over the years. And their parents have been hesitant about all sorts of vaccines in the past. And I think the best approach is to first listen and find out why. Yeah. Often it's not that parent, it's the grandparent or it's the spouse who isn't in the room. So I want to hear what specifically are you concerned about? Why, why are you concerned about that for your child or for yourself? Um, what about the disease? What do you know about the disease? And are you concerned about that? So I've had those discussions with measles, yeah. with hepatitis, with all sorts of things. And they're not that different with COVID, except that this is the first time I've seen vaccines become so incredibly polarized politically. Yeah. yeah. So many, 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 many false messages out there. Mm-hmm. So I, I ask people where they're getting their information and right. I, I tell them where I trust information and I don't get my information from a political news source when it comes to medicine. And then I feel like once I've heard them, I've kind of won the right to share myself and I just share that how many people over the years I saw die from everything that we vaccinate against. Mm-hmm and how grateful families were when there was an antidote to it. So mm-hmm. I've seen polio, I've seen measles, I've seen rubella, I've seen tetanus, I've seen everything but yeah. and um And I, I want people to weigh the difference between getting the vaccine and getting COVID in this, yeah. not getting the vaccine or not getting the vaccine, because that's a false equivalency. Mm-hmm. Let's make sure we're comparing the right things, right? And then again, being communal people, being called the body of Christ and God saying we're all connected. We all matter to each other and to him that whatever decision I'm making isn't just for me, right? just for my child. It's also for my neighbor. Um, and 
what am I called to do for my neighbor? And I don't believe that somebody needs to think that, well, my child has a 90% chance of dying, but my neighbor would live, that that means their child needs to die. No, I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that we should weigh those risks in light of the communal risks. So if it is, a, all of life is risky, everything's yeah. risky, crossing yeah. this risky. Mm -hmm. So getting the vaccine, yep, there, there is a little bit of risk to it, but it's a little bit. And how does that weigh with the risk to your neighbor if you don't get the vaccine? How does that weigh to the risk of your family or to the healthcare, the poor, poor, worn out healthcare providers who are vaccinated, but the more unvaccinated people keep coming in with infections and variants, you know, the more it's going to wear them down. So yeah. um, I, I try to get people to look at it on behalf of others as well as themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Jenny is so helpful. I knew you'd have something good to say about that, Jenny. Yeah. How did I know? <laughs> oh, I love having conversations with you. I feel like we could keep talking for hours, but yes. alas, we can't. But Jenny, thank you so much for just so what I one thing I always so appreciate about you is like you're a medical doctor, you know all sorts of intricacies of all sorts of things. Nick and I will never understand. Um <laughs> and don't need to understand, thankfully, because people like you do. But the but just the your ability to kind of like help us understand it and then kind of translate yeah. for it and help us integrate it with our own understanding of faith and our understanding of the body and kind of mm -hmm. healing. Oh, it's just been so, so helpful. So yeah. Jenny, thanks so much for your time. Thanks, Jenny. Thank you. Well, you know, since Canada's going to let me come in, uh, I'm going to I'm going to email you all and and uh, have some coffee or something. That'd be great. Yeah. We'd love that. Come on in. Yeah. <laughs> on behalf of Canada, come the, in. Uh, the American oh. and the Australian saying, so come, <laughs> come on in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, Jenny, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for listening to the Regent College podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. To discover more about Regent College, its upcoming events, conferences, courses, and more content like this, visit rgnt.net. That is rgnt.net.